because I'm, I'm telling you what, when I went to India, my favorite song to sing out there was, because I'm proud to be in America. Anyway, to the hotels, to like the Indian pastors, they're like, you're proud, brother. I'm like, yes, I am. Oh, my gosh. It wasn't, yeah, it was a good thing. But I'm telling you what, guys, this nation, that you have no idea just the freedoms that we have. And um, today, uh, Nancy had asked, uh, you know, just the student body of SUM to just uh, sing uh, songs that, uh, of our, um, of a just America and God blessing it. So we're going to sing God bless America. Amen. God bless America. God bless America.
Father, we pray for this great the 
let's just ask God uh, for a vision for this nation. Come on, let's just ask God for a vision of this city. Come on, I don't want to move right now just to stay in this time of prayer. Just ask God for it. Come on, this petition, God, for a vision for this city. To put it in our hearts that we would go out and we would preach his word. That we will feel a conviction that when our witnessing, that when we let witnessing go by, that when we see people just walking and just would, would walk by the church. want us to come in agreement that God would bring people for um, this new launch that we're having Tuesday. I just want us to lift that up right now, that God would just encounter Wicked Park. Father God, that are affiliated, Father God, that would go forth, that are a part of this move, God. 
that you will enable them, that you will encourage them, oh God. Father, give them strength, give them boldness in the name of Jesus. Yes, God, we believe. Oh, we believe that you're moving among us, God. We believe that you're moving among us, God. Oh, Father, what a privilege, what an honor, Father, God, to go forth to preach your word. Father, to preach your word in boldness in this land, in this nation. Father, God, heal our land, oh God. Father, we call sinners to repentance in the name of Jesus. Father, we call backsliders to repentance in the name of Jesus. Father, we call Wicker Park to repentance in the name of Jesus. God, that you will heal us. God, that you will hear their land. Bring it forth, oh God. Let it happen, God. Let it happen, oh God. that same attitude that my brother's already praying and would we just find a seat and let Leilani stay up there you can turn her down just a little bit but I want to just share with you some things about the founding of our country and more importantly what our country needs today I was going to let rest the message I shared yesterday as that message that they wanted us to preach for SUM, something patriotic. But, you know, I just felt, let's just go with this even today. Why not share it again? Now, before you open up your Bibles, just write down some of these names of our founding fathers and some of their quotes, you know, that they give to us and we should learn from them. Uh, John Adams, great leader in our nation, he wrote... He's speaking to somebody. He said, statesman, my dear sir, my plain and speculate speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality alone. He is saying that uh, the reason for liberty is based on religion and morality alone, which can establish the principles of, upon which freedom can securely stand. That's John Adams. So many wonderful quotes from these men. I'm just giving you a few here. Also, John Quincy Adams, his son, uh, he said, the highest glory, thank you, of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indisputable bond the principles of civil government and principles of Christianity. Some of you know George Washington's Thanksgiving prayer, giving thanks to God. A a quote from him is, And now, Almighty Father, if it is Thou, holy will, that we shall obtain a place and a name among the nations of the earth. Now, some of these men like George Washington might have been believed to be more of a deist than what we would call a Christian. But it just shows that when they spoke about the nation, they understood it as God was sovereignly sovereignly in control and in charge of America. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, God who gave us life, gave us liberty. So here they're acknowledging where these rights come from, inalienable rights, rights 
that have been imputed to us that we have within us as the uh, the amendments talk about these rights have been given to us by God our creator here's another quote from Thomas Jefferson and can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis so he's saying can we have this of freedom, this liberty, if we remove the basis from which they stand, the foundation. And what is that? A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God. So he's saying, how can we have freedom if we do not believe in a God who gives us these freedoms? That's a very important thing to understand. Inalienable rights, things that are imputed to us, given to us from God. Our founding fathers knew that was the basis of a free people, is that God gave you freedom. God gave you a mind. God gave you the ability to choose life. And, you know, no one is going to restrict you from that. No one is going to hold you back from living that free life. And I'll read the amendments here in just a minute, but Alexander Hamilton for, on, for my own part, I sincerely esteem it a system with which out the finger of God never could have been suggested and agreed upon by such a diversity of interest. So he's saying that when you know people were getting together, making the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and all of these things, that unless there was a Christian foundation, even though we all, you know, people had different agendas and ideas, not all Christians agree. He said, but unless they could agree upon the finger of God in the nation, none of it would have been established otherwise. James Madison, we have all been encouraged to feel in the guardianship and guidance of that almighty being whose power regulates the destiny of nations. (coughs) Excuse me. Beside from this being written like in Old English, it's hard for us sometimes as Christians to hear this almighty being, God almighty. Once again, it doesn't mean every one of them were Christians. It just shows you that even if they were a deist, and the deist is someone who believes in almighty God, but not necessarily the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, or that one can have a personal relationship with God. These men worked together with Christian men saying what we can all agree upon is that God should be the foundation of our freedoms and liberties. And then as others began to have Christian viewpoints, they suggested those as well. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. Daniel Webster, <coughs> excuse me, was a, <coughs> was a Christian. And he said, finally, let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Our fathers brought hither by their high veneration for the Christian religion. They journeyed by its light and labored in its hope. So here he says, we know the pilgrims, the Puritans, the first ones to come here, they were Christians. Christians, not just deists, they were Christians. Andrew Jackson, excuse me. Andrew, this is what happens after I preach like I do these last, uh, yesterday, you know, I preached a strong message. It's like, just pray for me. Andrew Jackson, the book, the Bible, sir, is the republic, or excuse me, is the rock 
upon which our republic rests. Let me read that again. He's speaking to somebody. That book, the Bible, sir, is the rock upon which our republic rests. So he is saying, not only in a deist sense, but I'm a Christian, and I believe that the Bible is the best explanation for why we're here and the best explanation to why our country is here. So this republic rests on that Bible. Abraham Lincoln, moving a little bit further from the founding of our nation, but just a great president that we look at bringing freedom and and, uh, breaking down of slavery. He says, it is the duty of nations as well as of men to owe their dependence on the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow. So obviously he believed in a Christian God in a form of repentance. Abraham was Abraham Lincoln was a Christian. Now what can I do to help you understand a little bit of the founding of our nation and as a Christian nation that will help you in your ministry? Let me just give you a few things to, to write down. Number one, our nation is founded upon Christian principles but a secular government. And I was explaining that today, and I was kind of giving my message away a little bit to the class. But let me explain what that means. And there's a great book that really explained it to me, that it's helped me understand it. And it's America's Christian History. And it's, uh, I'm going to get you the author, by Dr. H. Wayne House. Wayne, then House being his name, Dr. Wayne House. So we were founded upon Christian principles and a secular government. So what this means, when you look at the past and how the church came together with the state and ruled with the state, that was not good for anybody. When Christianity became the state religion under Theodosius, as we learned after Constantine in the Roman Empire, he then eradicated all other religions. So Christianity was once persecuted by the Roman Empire, and then Constantine made the treaty, the Treaty of Milan, that said every religion is going to be free. But then Theodosius said, "No, that's not enough." That was the emperor after Constantine in 380. He said, "No, now from this time on, Christianity is the only religion." And so, if you worship Bacchus or you worship Thor or you worship these gods, we're going to kill you now. And they actually began to conquer like that. They began to conquer Europe and Britain, and they conquered them and forced them to convert. Now, this is what led to Islam and its right to fight against us in those wars. Islam was saying, we're not going to take it anymore. We're going to fight against you, and then we're going to make your people convert to Islam. And so they took over nations that were Christian. Turkey was a Christian nation. Spain was a Christian nation. Iraq, Iran, places of the Middle East were Christian nations. Um, In the parts of Africa, Egypt was a Christian nation. Ethiopia took it over and then made them uh, convert. Now, the difference between us and the Muslim is when we look back on our history, we can go, those guys were not Christian. First of all, Jesus never did that. The disciples never did that. And these people, three, 400 years later, they're not acting anything like Jesus. They can't find it in the Bible. 
with the Muslim, it's Muhammad who did that. It's Muhammad's closest followers who did that. And the teachings are found in the Quran. And the Sharia law is the best of all laws to them, which is when Islam dominates, which is suppression of other religions, women, Two women make one man vote. That's why in Saudi Arabia the women still can't drive to this day. If you want to see Islamic law done to its best of its ability, look at Saudi Arabia where Mecca is. People who change their religion are beheaded. Speak anything against Islam, you're killed. Okay, so when our founding fathers came, and let me just back up a little bit. There's two major groups, well, you could say three major groups coming to America. And at that time, it was the Americas, you know, because North and South America are connected, right? They are connected. It's not like they're disassociated there. And they pretty much had the same population of people, which we would call Native Americans or, you know, Indians. You know, Aztecs, uh, all of the, you know, they're all from a very similar gene pool, just living in different parts of the continent. Are you all tracking with me here? The, you know, North and South America can be uh, considered, you know, one group of people. Well, you have the conquistadors. They're going to come, and they're going to conquer in the name of the churches, like the Roman Catholic Church. They're going to come and conquer and establish colonies. And by doing that, they brought diseases. Their their sicknesses, like smallpox, the people, the Indian people had no you know real cure for because these had been things that the Europeans went through as children. And now they come over, and the adults get it. And it becomes an epidemic. You know, millions of people die slavery, all of these things. So there was the conquistadors. Then there was the pilgrims, Plymouth Rock, Mayflower. You all following with me here? And these are people coming for religious freedom. They know why they're coming. Most of them are leaving the Church of England. Some of them are Quakers, different religions. They're coming over here for freedom. And then out of that begins to develop Puritans. They come from... America, uh, Europe, and then they come to America. These three groups, like the conquistadors, for help you to understand Christianity. The conquistadors coming to America were coming in Christian name, but they were kind of conquering and causing trouble. The pilgrims come to chill and do their thing. Now, the Puritans, the problem with them is the Puritans, they themselves begin to develop a state religion mixture here but on Protestantism. And so they basically want their form of Protestantism to rule the land. Now, some of us are like, man, I love Puritans. Puritans are great. We read their books, you know, William Law and some of the other guys. You might have heard of them. But here's the thing, man. They were very, very strict only in their sect and their way. I wouldn't have wanted a Puritan-ran country. And so what happened as others kept coming people began to realize the lessons learned from before. If they were coming from England or France, they were coming from places where the Church of France, the Church of England, or a Roman Catholic ruled state, one of those three probably major ones, you know, Roman Catholic would have been like uh, Spain and uh, Italy, uh, Portugal, some of these other places. Are you all following me? That's where a lot of these travelers were coming from. They were coming from Catholic ruled states, England broke off at one time, and they were Church of England, but it was ruled by the church, monarchy, married together with the church, and then the Church of France, very similar. Now, when they were coming, they knew that that didn't work. 
that taking political leaders and meshing them together with religious leaders always ended up oppressing the people. And religious people weren't happy. And one of the reasons why religious people weren't happy is because when you're having everybody convert and live in your nation because they have to be this religion, you don't have genuine followers anymore. And this was part of the reason why the monastic movement grew out of the 4th and 5th and 6th century is because right around that time of Theodosius making the law that you can't be anything but a Christian, what do you have now? A bunch of wannabe Christians because they have to be Christian to be in office. They have privileges or social benefits. If you're not a Christian, you're going to be, you know, get your property confiscated. You can suffer. So you got a lot of people wanting to be a Christian. And then what happens now you don't have genuine Christianity. So religion, true Christians don't win out when religion or uh, uh, church and state marry together like that. No, the, the church is not happy. And then, of course, the state is not happy. The people in the government or the people that are being ruled, they're not happy because they don't get to choose. They don't get to choose their faith or how they worship. Or how they're going to live. And so when America was founded, you have to understand the difference. It was founded upon Christian principles. What was the majority of the faith of people here? Christians. What book did they value the most? Even if they were deists, what book did they feel was the best of all books to share religion? To share the stories about God? <clears throat> the Bible. That's why you see the Bible, you know, is what you swear upon the present to be brought into office, you know, the judges, etc., taught in our schools. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so what you begin to see is that they are Christian, they are Christian in their beliefs. But when they begin to orchestrate a government, how is it going to be? It's going to be secular. Now, what does secular mean? Does secular mean that they're not going to be able to love God or that secular is like how we look at secular music? Thank you. No, what secular simply means, in its simplest, simplest definition, is that non-religious guidelines or let me give you a better definition. Let me just give you one right here. Secular. It's going to basically say what I was trying to say, but I think I can say it better than this. I think I can say it better than this. Secular is the concept that it is neutral in the matters of religion. There we go. <clears throat> Secular doesn't mean anti-religion. It means neutral in religion. So it is not going to take a pro or con stance to religion. Why is that important to know that our government wasn't a Christian government? Because we weren't going to make all of the laws pertaining to people who accept the Bible and make them uh, make laws pertaining to the Bible and make those who don't accept the Bible follow those laws. Okay? Even though many people did that all the time. Homosexuality was illegal. Uh, you know, um, 
You couldn't work on Sunday in a lot of places to hold political office. In some places, you had to have a, a, um, a church membership. But that wasn't the Bill of Rights or the Constitution. That was individual states, individual um, parts of the country making those as their own laws. Does everybody understand? So the benefit of a secular state means that you can be Catholic, you can be Protestant, you can be Presbyterian, you can be Orthodox, freedom in religion. Does everybody understand that? So the secular state was actually a blessing to all religions. But that doesn't mean that we weren't Christian in our nation. We were Christian. But the most Christian thing we could do, and you've got to think about this, the most Christian thing we knew we could do in forming a government was to not make our government Christian. Because by doing so, we would have alienated those who weren't Christians. And we weren't wanting to make a nation that says everybody here has to be a Christian. We weren't trying to say everybody here has to be in one church. Now, when that that letter was written, the letter of separation of church and state, the question that was at the time there was whether or not the church was going to be dictated things by the state. And at that time, this letter, and I'll get you the reference here, Thomas Jefferson is talking to the Danbury Baptist in regards to how is the state going to influence them? How is the country going to influence churches? And what he was saying was, is that the country, America, shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise of thus building a wall of separation between church and state. And so what Thomas Jefferson was writing to Danbury Baptist was, he's saying, we're not going to interfere with your church. You can do whatever you feel is right as unto God. Now, also taken here that the freedom of religion is also tied into the freedom of speech. And wasn't that another big thing to us? Yes, the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech almost go hand in hand, don't they? The the freedom for you to believe what you want to believe and then to be able to share it with others publicly or privately. Now, could they do that in church-ran states? No. Could you speak against the Pope in a church-run state? No. So what if you have the Puritans, excuse me, what if you have the Puritans and they're ruling and reigning and their government is set up and now one of them starts to go bad? Because we know people backslide all the time. Well, if you don't have freedom of religion or freedom of speech, you can't criticize that man. You can't hold him to a different standard, uh, uh, hold him to a standard other than what he has set up for himself. And so our country was Christian in its beliefs, but secular in its government. Not to run away from Christianity, 
but actually to give Christianity the freedom to do everything it was supposed to do. Now you understand those quotes. They were saying, we're giving the world freedom based on our Bible. We're going to let the Muslim come to our country and be a Muslim if he wants because we are going to give him freedom. We're going to let the Jew, which at that time the Reformers, a lot of them, Martin Luther and John Calvin, as we've learned as well, were hating Jews, were anti-Semitic. We were saying, you can come. You can come. Protestants, you can come. Catholics, you can come. Because our Bible, the majority of us are loving this Bible, love Jesus, want to give you those freedoms. Thank you. So the most Christian thing that we could do was to what? Give people freedom. To have a secular government. To have a government that was neutral in its religious beliefs. Number two. The Bill of Rights and the Constitution are all grounded upon biblical theology and understandings. If they wouldn't have been Christian, they couldn't have developed this secular government. What are these Bill of Rights? These Bill of Rights are the things that give Americans their rights to live and to have freedom and to be protected by. And the people who did these, who made these rights, were Christians. And if you look through these rights, Article 3, the third of the Bill of Rights, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, by the way, one and two are just kind of introductions to the Bill of Rights. The very first one, or setting up a democracy, the very first one that helps you understand how it's going to apply to you is this one. Why? Because it was so important to them as Christians. The majority of them were Christians. And they knew that Protestants and Catholics had been fighting. They knew that there were differences in their beliefs between Puritans and Anglicans. They knew that there were differences. They wanted there to be freedom here. Congress shall make no law. Or excuse me, this is the First Amendment, but it's the third article. So here it is. I'm sorry. I'm misreading it here. The first and second article lay out the democracy from what they're going to say. They're like introductions. It is the third article or the third paragraph of statements, but it is the First Amendment. Okay, I'm sorry. Thank you. The First Amendment. So the very first thing that they say in the document that says, now we're going to tell you what this all means, is this. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. Do you see how religion comes first, then speech, then press? Do you see that? Or the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a readdress of grievances. 
Why is the First Amendment's first thing it mentions, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion? Because that was the basis of the secular government. Now, number three, Christians never guaranteed nor promised anyone in any of our constitutions freedom from religion. Do you understand the difference? We gave freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. So it's like, if you don't like our Bible in the school, then head on out. If you don't like us swearing on the Bible when we induct our presidents, then go to another country. If you don't like that we are going to pray before every Congress, and we're going to have national days of prayer and thanksgiving to our God, then you can roll out. If you don't like that in our Congress and in our government are going to be clergy and religious people who have been voted in that are going to influence us with their decisions, then you can take a hike. It was never freedom from religion. And so now that's what the the challenge is, and that's where the message would begin, is for us to stand up in this culture to preach Jesus like our founding fathers did in the public squares, in our schools, in our government, in everything that we do as Christians because it was Christian men and women that established the country. So number four, preach like our founding fathers did. You know, come on. Pray like they prayed. Teach like how they teach. Ground your, your businesses, your, your, uh, your endeavors in the Word of God, like how they grounded their endeavors in the Word of God. I could keep you here all day from the reason why um, Quaker is on Quaker oatmeal, uh, you know, to why, you know, we have the inventions that we do the printing press and how it was developed back there by Gutenberg to print out the Bible, but how those inventions like that came to America, it was always grounded in the Word of God. Our industry, the ability to make money and to prosper, can be summarized in George Washington's Thanksgiving address that, God, we ask you to bless us that we can be a blessing to others, that you will make us a beacon to the nations. And then you go to the founding of our schools and just don't have enough time to get into it all. But like Harvard, just looking at the founding, the the motto of Harvard, looking at it here, Harvard was established in 1636 by a pastor, John Harvard, who was a Congregationalist and a Unitarian, so I guess at this point he didn't believe in the Trinity, but it's okay. We don't know where he stood at that moment. They weren't always sound in doctrine, but he was a Christian in the sense he loved Jesus and he, and he loved the Bible. Are you listening? Once again, freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. He donated his books from his own personal library so that the school could be established. And here is the motto. You want to hear the motto? Here, is the, here was the motto. 
of Harvard, if I can find it here quickly. Lord, help me. The motto of Harvard. I could make it up, which I wish, wish I could. The motto of Harvard. The devil's alive. I was that liar. I was, I was sailing so smoothly up, up until then. By the way, John Harvard, who was a clergyman, who had given to the school his own personal library, did so knowing that the ones who would be mostly trained there would be the Puritans. Just to give you an understanding that they weren't against each other. You understand? Even though he might have different, had a little difference of some of his own opinions, he knew that the Puritans were really going to be there. And it had a Puritan philosophy. And uh, I, I'm just going to have to to, to pause on this and come back to it if somebody could find it. 17,000, uh, excuse me? Veritas, truth. Yeah, but no, that's not the, the one that I'm looking for. They had a, um, they had a motto. It's like actually a sentence. I know that you looked it up there, and I'm seeing this. There we go. There we go. Truth for Christ and the church. Where did you find that at? Okay. I want to find it in here. And we're going to pray. Just be patient with me. Amen. I just want to honor the word of God and I want to honor the truth here. And I just don't want to say something that's not true. Not only the motto, but I want you to see on an early brochure in 1643, this is how Harvard University described itself, to advance learning and to perpetuate it to posterity, dreading to leave an an illiterate ministry to the church. Let me just read this again. To advance learning and perpetuate it to posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches. They wanted the clergy, mostly Congregationalist, Puritan clergy, to be trained in excellence. <clears throat> Excuse me, let's go to let's go to Princeton. <clears throat> A Bible college, because you're in Bible college today, right? So this this kind of applies to you, doesn't it? 
Oh, is this a new thing we're learning about Jesus in a college setting? Oh, do those colleges give degrees? Well, yeah, yeah, they do. You ever heard of Princeton? You ever heard of Yale? You ever heard of Harvard? Yeah, they give degrees too. Bible colleges, are you listening? To not have an illiterate ministry in the church. Princeton, how was it established? By the Presbyterians in 1746. Does anybody know who the Presbyterians were influenced by? Who were the Presbyterians influenced by? The Methodists. Presbyterians were influenced by George Whitfield and John Calvin. That's who, that's who they were influenced by. Predominantly John Calvin. How was it established? Established under the same understanding. Let me get a little history here for you. Something how, you know, it's so hard to find these things now. You know what I'm saying? So hard to find this. Like they don't want to publish this anymore. Princeton University. They said that any persons of any religious denomination may attend. Remember, freedom for religion, not freedom from religion. And what's their motto, if somebody can find it for me? What was Princeton's motto? I don't even understand why I can't even find this stuff, you know. Come on. Want this, I want to turn this over to prayer. I, I didn't want to go this long. Uh, I didn't even prepare really this message, so I apologize. Here we go. Under God's power, she flourishes. Princeton's motto was, under God's power, she flourishes. Think about that. Were we ashamed of it then? Were we ashamed? Were we trying to tell people we're not going to be Christians around you because it may affect you? It may influence you, influence you the wrong way. We're not going to be this way. No. Absolutely 100% not. We were telling them we're Christians. And because of our Christianity, we've established a secular government, a non specified religious government so everybody's welcome here but when you get here you're going to find that we're Christians that we're doing this unto Christ we're learning for Christ we're starting our businesses for Christ we want our children to be taught Christ the colonial schools the Bible was the main textbook prayer before our congresses prayer on our holy days and now we feel that because we didn't take any stance in our religious government and in, in, in the governmental setting we didn't make a religion dominant that now we have to allow all religions the same place in the public atmosphere the public place like we do Christianity and that was never the heart 
You didn't see Christians on Christmas putting up also whatever Muslims like or celebrating Ramadan, etc. They were saying, no, we're Christians. We're going to put the cross on our courthouses. We're going to put the Ten Commandments here. We're not going to put Hammurabi's code. We're going to put the Ten Commandments. We're going to put uh, the, the, the nativity scenes because we're Christians. Now, you can't get more constitutional than the people who signed the Constitution. Are you listening? And let me just read this, and then we'll pray for our nation today. Let me just read a part of our Constitution. Here is the Constitution. We, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, <clears throat> provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Now, people who signed this Constitution, let me just give you a fun fact right here. Wallbuilders.com is a great place to get some information. Signers of the Constitution, Christian. Let me give you some, and then I'll give you some of their quotes. Amen. Christian background of the signers of the Constitution. Abraham Baldwin was a chaplain in the American Revolution, was a signer. Richard Bassett participated in writing it. And he said, I do profess my faith in Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, Holy Ghost, etc. Gunning Bedford. At a funeral, or at a funeral, at the death of Washington, said, "Now to the Triune God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, be described, be ascribed all honor, dominion, forever." He was a signer. These are Trinitarian, Jesus Christ believing people who speak publicly about George Washington wherever they go that they're Christians. Are you listening to me? John Blair was a member of the Episcopal Church. William Blunt, member of the Presbyterian Church. And who said there's no no person who denies the being of God or a future state rewards or punishment shall hold any office in civil government of this state. So here you have William Blunt, a member of the Presbyterian Church, a signer of the Constitution, who says, I'm even going to tell in my place in Delaware, you shouldn't be able to hold any office unless you believe in Jesus Christ and final judgment. You can't get more constitutional than the signers of the Constitution. Are you listening to me? And it just goes on and on and on. Uh, William Few was a devout Methodist. Some were Catholic. Others were uh, Puritan, Congregationalist. Let me give you some more. James Madison, a member of the Episcopal Church, said the belief in a God, all-powerful, wise, and good, is essential to the moral order of the wood of the world and to the happiness of man. 
James Madison, you just signed the Constitution. Where are you going? Disney World. No, just watch. You just signed the Constitution. What do you think about God? God's the only one that gives us the ability. Who is God to you? The Father, Son, Holy Ghost. How many of you men here who just signed the Constitution, how many of you believe the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, only way to God, this is important to our nation? Raise your hand. More than half of them all raising their hands. Three-fourths probably raising their hands. Thomas Milfin was a Quaker. Robert Morris, member of the Episcopal Church. It just goes on. I mean, we could be here for quite a while, but I wanted you to understand that these men who signed the Constitution, most of them were Christians. Let me see percent. Can I get a percent here? Percent of how many? Okay, here we go. Okay, I got a great thing right here. The religious affiliations, here we go. Okay, here, how about this? I'll read this to you. There were 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, 48 signers of the Articles of Confederation, 55 delegates who participated in the Constitutional Convention. Altogether, that is 118 different signatures, okay, 118 different signatures. Out of these 118 different signatures, 54% were Anglican. So more than half were just Anglican right there. Church of England, that's also what John Wesley was. 18% Presbyterian, 16% Congregational. So just take 54 plus 18 plus 16 is how much right there? Somebody just added up. This has come up with a percentage. That's how many percentage we know were probably very much, how much? 54 plus, here we go, 54 plus 18 plus 16, 88 percent, 88 percent were full-on Bible-believing members of their church, loved Jesus, believed in the Trinity, loved God just like the way, 88%. And I said more than 50, it was 88%. 4% were Quaker, 3% were Dutch Reformed. Do you know how many were Unitarian? 1.9%. But why was that so important? Because you had Calvinists, you had Catholic. Catholic was 1.9% too. Lutheran, 3.1. Why was it so important to have a secular government? So that these different Christian denominations wouldn't try to fight and have a Catholic or a Church of England run state. And by granting those freedoms and benefits to each other, they were saying, we welcome other people too, even of other religions. But it took a Christian group of people to do that. It took at least... Um, well, majority of all of them were Christian. There wasn't, as according to this, one atheist, but I think there was at least one or two that at some point denounced God in some ways. So it took 98% of the Christians to say, we'll let an atheist feel at home in America. 
We'll let a Muslim feel at home in America. We'll let the other people, the Jewish people, feel at home in America. Isn't that something? And now people want to tell us that we can't involve religion into our school, into our government, and that somehow the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, these things somehow protect them from having any influence of religion. And the only place religion belongs is just in a little Bible college or in a little church or a little house. Keep it off the streets. Keep it off the airways. Keep it out of public buildings. Keep the prayers out of this. Take out all of these things that we added on in the 50s at the height of Christianity in America. All these World War II people coming back, falling in love with God, marrying families, marrying at 20 years old because they were going off to war, starting families. Let's, let's forget about all of that, how God brought liberty now to the people that were oppressing over across the world in communist and fascist and Marxist societies that all denied God in some way. We went over there and liberated those people, came back and built a nation on that, revitalized our nation. And now people are going to try to tell us to not be that. Let me tell you what I want to tell people like that. If you don't like it, you can find another country. Because this country was established by Christian men who gave you the right to be free because of a Christian principle. And I'll close out with this. I didn't give you any scripture, but I'll close out with the scripture here in just a moment. But I want to close out with one of the men who signed, I believe, the Declaration of Independence, John Adams. I want to close out with... uh, quote from him that we heard it right at the beginning praise God I love Jesus I'm glad the Lord had me share this today and we just need to pray for our country that's the most important thing This, this doesn't say as well as it should, but I think it says it good. John Quincy Adams, because there's more quotes than just this, but this, this will do fine right now. The highest glory of the American Revolution was this, when we became our own nation. It connected in one indispensable bond the principles of civil government and the principles of Christianity. Now do you understand? Christianity in practice and religion and belief, secular in our government, giving freedom to others, melded together. You take out Christianity and you just try to give people freedom, it would have been an an anarchical state. People wouldn't have respected each other. They would have been fighting against each other. There would have been no cause to bind them together. It was the Bible and Christian faith that bound them together. You have Christian faith without the secular government, without allowing those freedoms for a difference of opinion on religion. You would have gone back into the dark ages. America was unique in that it unified both. So today as we stand, can we stand today, please? Can we pray a prayer that was prayed over the nation of Israel, over the people of God back then? Could we pray this same prayer today 
over our country. Yes, we can. Though the promises are not the same as in God is going to do through Israel to us, but the same in the sense of if we keep God's commands, he's no, uh, he does not favor people. He will do unto us what his word says he will. He will give us his promises if we obey his commands. Amen. And I want to go to the prayer of Solomon that he prayed for his nation. And I think you guys will relate to this in many, many ways. I actually wrote a song about this. Send your rain, O God. And how many know we're in a spiritual drought in this land? How many know we need the reign of God again? We need the reign of God. Second Chronicles. When Solomon dedicated the temple to the Lord, this is what he prayed to the nation for the nation of Israel, and this is what we can pray for our nation today. Because we want to follow God like how Israel was commanded to follow God. Amen. Lord the God of Israel, Lord, the God of America. There is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. How many wish I could preach this now? Come on. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, with your hand you have fulfilled it as today. You have kept your promise to John Adams, to George Washington. You have kept your promise. You have given us a free land. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a successor sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me according to my law as you have done. Oh God, will you keep your promise to George Washington when he said, if you will bless our nation, we will be saved. We will be prosperous. We will have liberties to enjoy with our family. Our nation will be prosperous. Keep those promises. And now, Lord, the God of Israel, let your word that you promised to your servant David come true. But will God really dwell on earth with human beings? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. Now we know the temple of God is in us by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yet, Lord, my God, give attention to your servant's prayer. And his plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night. Or may your eyes be open toward this country day and night. This place where, this place with which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servants pray towards this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Now obviously all this is going to do with the temple. But we know 
in America, Christians had the temple of God within them. And they wanted this to be a place of worship for God. Amen? May your eyes be open towards this temple day and night. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place when you hear forgive. When anyone wrongs his neighbor and is required to take an oath and they come and swear the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty and bringing down on their heads what they have done, vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with your innocence. Did not our Constitution say we wanted to give justice, justice, protection, liberty? Sounds exactly the same. When your people, Israel or America, have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back and give praise to your name, praying and make make supplication before you in this temple, Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to them and their ancestors. When we sin and go against what our forefathers established, when we turn this nation into wickedness and now we don't see the peace that we once had and we ask for forgiveness, heal us. It says, when the heavens are shot up, are shut up, And there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. And when they prayed towards this place and and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven, forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. Heal our land. When famine or plague comes to the land, or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, or when enemies besiege them in their cities, when disasters or disease may come, like we saw on September 11th, when when a prayer is made by anyone among your people, Israel, be aware of their afflictions and pain and spreading out their hands toward this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive. And deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts. For you alone know the human heart, so that they will fear you and walk in obedience to you all the time they live in the land you gave our ancestors. I wish I could continue reading this prayer, but it's probably a good thing that we would just pray in the last few moments that we have. But that's the prayer of our forefathers. And that should be our prayer today. God, protect us. And if we sin against you, bring us to repentance. And if we repent, heal our land. And when Solomon finished praying his prayer, the glory of God came into that temple. Can the glory of God come again to this land? The revival of Azusa Street was in America. That has now spread to all over the world. Over 500 people speaking in other tongues, nations like India. The greatest mission movement, including Pentecostalism, has come from America in these last days. May God do it again. Amen. Would you just join me at this altar on your knees for the next few moments?
And would you just pray with me that God would forgive us of our sins, heal our land. Some of you know that popular scripture, Second Chronicles, I believe, 517. I'll read it out as we're praying. Hallelujah, Jesus. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. This is just following the chapter that I had just read. Solomon prayed, and then God spoke that promise back to him. May God speak that promise to us today. Healing on our nation. A recovery of righteousness. In Jesus' name.